taking a look inside the lives and minds of some of the world's most inspiring thought leaders. My grandfather would always have this wonderful saying to us, you need to check your want to every day, boys. You can't do anything with a broke want to. People living inspiring lives and motivating others. I think that I'm her evolved now. And what I promised her is that I would continue her legacy on, right? Because she was that person who was present for me, who listened. Brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is the Inspiring Lives Podcast with Gary Birtwistle. I'm Gary Birtwistle and welcome to the Inspiring Lives Podcast, the show that looks inside the minds of some of the world's foremost thought leaders to discover their recipe for success. We've had the good fortune of speaking with a super impressive list of the world's top experts in health, nutrition, performance, psychology, productivity, business. If you're new to the show, you can check out the back catalog of this stellar lineup of guests. It's one of the great things about podcasts is that you can cruise through the back catalog and also save your favorite shows so you can listen back to truly enhance the learnings these people are sharing and the takeaways we are gaining. So welcome to the Inspiring Lives podcast, brought to you by the most complete supplement for a better you, Athletic Greens. Today on the show, we meet Kevin Carroll, a guy who has helped turn creative ideas into reality for organizations such as Nike, Starbucks, Adidas, Walt Disney, and Under Armour. As an author, speaker, and an agent for social change, Kevin's mission is to inspire companies and individuals from CEOs and employees of Fortune 500 companies right down to school children to embrace their spirit of play and creativity to maximize our human potential and sustain more business and personal growth. Kevin served in the Air Force as a language interpreter and translator, gaining fluency in Croatian, Czech, Serbian, and German. He was then the head athletic trainer for the Philadelphia 76ers, until Nike invited Kevin to bring his unique experiences, his unique perspectives to the sneaker giant, and so he became the creative catalyst. Kevin, welcome to the Inspiring Lives podcast. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have a conversation with you all today. Kevin, I just want to start on the web. You are Kevin Carroll Catalyst with a K, and you've talked about a catalytic conversation how would we have a catalytic conversation with a K? Uh, yes, well, the K makes it unique versus it being traditional spelling of the C, uh, A-T-A-L-Y-S-T. So I, I do that to make sure that it stands out. And that's always my goal as it relates to having a catalytic conversation with someone is to make sure that it is unique and make sure that it sparks um, mindset, attitude, intention, passion, purpose, but I wanted to definitely be a spark. So I always looked at ways to uh, tip the mindset, the attitude for people to look at things with a different perspective. So that's why I changed it from a C to a K. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's, that's an area of life where things seem to be dwindling a bit is around true human connection and conversation. When you meet somebody for the first time, and in your mind, you want to create this catalytic conversation, tell me how you approach a conversation with someone you met for the first time. Oh, so one of the things I'm really intentional about, Gary, is to be where my feet are. So I want to be as present as possible when I first meet someone and not looking 
at or having an agenda or looking past them if you happen to be at a social setting. And so I think a big part of what I've come to understand more and more is the ability to be present and then to bring a level of curiosity about that individual's story. And so I'm always curious. Everybody's got a story. And so I'm always curious to learn your story and to hear your story. So that's what I think allows me to have a different kind of conversation. And I love what you were saying about being um, more, bringing more humanity or the, the, our need or our desire to connect more. And I think it's a natural outcome to all the amazing technology that we have. But my attitude has always been that the technology is simply there to amplify our humanity. It is not to take the place of it. So the more effort we make to be present when we're talking with someone and also trying to be more transformational than transactional in our conversations is what I try to do. So I'm the uh, I have some funny stories about just connecting with people, especially in my neighborhood here. I'm the old man best friend. I'm affectionately known <laughs> as that. Yeah. So I'm the old man best friend with all the kids in the neighborhood. And great story yesterday. There's a, a little boy down the street with his sister, Elon and Golda. And they're like maybe three houses down from our house on our block here in Portland. And Elon and I have been talking for three years now. I thought Elon was like six when I started talking with him. He was three when we started our oh. conversations. <laughs> and so we have been, yeah, and he was just so verbal and so communicative. And his mom and dad one day um, let me know that, you know, you're the only one that stops and talks to him. He tries to talk to people from the porch all the time, but you were the one that stopped and talked and you've been consistent with him. And so to now what happens is Elon, when something special happens, we should tell Kevin, mom, she says, that's what he says at the house, or we should show Kevin. Do you think Kevin's home so we can show him this? Or I might be walking up the street in a the neighborhood. They'll pull their car over and the window will come down in the passenger seat. And there's Elon, Kevin, Kevin, there's an amazing spider web down the street. You should go see it. So I started to understand that being available and being present and just wanting to be more neighborly, if you will, and, and more connected that way really serves a great purpose. So I, I absolutely think you're spot on with um, our feeling that we want to reconnect or elevate humanity even more so right now is really a, a pressing issue and a challenge and an opportunity. Kevin, I'm just going to take an off-ramp here for a second because I wasn't expecting to go here at this time. But I just want to take you back to maybe these things connect up. I want to take you back to a time where there was a, a young kid called Norman and you guys got into a fight or a scuffle. But yeah. that scuffle ended up changing the trajectory of your life. Just take us back to that time. Think about that story as it relates to connecting with someone. So Norman was the new kid in the neighborhood, Norman Lane. He came up to the playground in our neighborhood, Preston Playground. I had already created my connection there and my love of sport and play there. And so here comes this new kid and I didn't know the rules had changed that they wanted to see if you were tough now. So they decide that day that, hey, Kevin, 
you need to fight that new kid over there, Norman. I'm like, why? They said, well, we want to see if he's tough enough to hang with us. I'm like, well, why do I need to fight him? I'm not angry at him. And they basically say, well, if you don't fight him, we're going to beat you both up. But I'm like, that's not fair, right? So I'm like standing there trying to negotiate. But Norman is standing there saying, it's okay, we can fight. It's okay, we can fight. He keeps saying it and he starts annoying me. To a point where I just turn and I jump on him, right? And we start scuffling because I'm like, stop saying that. So everybody's like watching, but it's not some amazing pugilistic moment. And they walk away and Norman and I are covered in dirt. And I remember we're sitting on the ground and he looks at me and he says, you want to come to my house for peanut butter and jelly? And that was his peace offering. And I went to his house that day and that's when I met his family and Ultimately, I would meet the most important person in my life's journey, Miss Lane, his mom. And it was really an amazing serendipity, um, serendipitous moment, if you will. But it changed my trajectory. At nine years old, I met him and everything changed for me. That was your frame that I wanted to take here, Kevin, because one thing I heard you say, which really stuck in my mind, you said with Miss Lane, you had real talks Tell us about Miss Lane and what a real talk was between you and Miss Lane. So, so Norman's mother, Miss Lane, who I affectionately call my CEO, my chief encouragement officer of my dreams. So when I met Miss Lane, um, she would always point out she passed away five years ago at 83 years old. Um, but we would have these talks from the time I was nine years old. And I would always say they were real talks. So because I could talk to Miss Lane unconditionally. She was never judgmental, was a no judgment zone with her. And we could talk about anything from hopes, dreams, aspirations, worries, concerns, girls, school, my, my, uh, my troubles, my woes, whatever it might be. We would have these conversations and they started from when I was really young. And she pointed something out to me when I was a bit older and she said, you know, all the boys in the neighborhood had access to me and this house, Kevin, including your brothers, my two brothers. She said, but you're the one that's stuck. She said, I don't think that's a coincidence that you and I would become friends. So think about this, Gary, which is really crazy. So Norman passes away in a car accident with one of my other best friends at 26 years old. I fly back from Germany, I'm in the Air Force at the time, to support them. When I show up on crutches with a cast on my leg because I blew my knee out playing in a game, a soccer match, to honor my two friends, and I end up getting hurt. So I come home hurt, and Miss Lane sees me and gives me this big hug, and she says, I so appreciate you coming here. I said, Miss Lane, don't worry, I'm going to make you proud. And she said, you really are our son now. So these kinds of real talk, I mean, that's, that's from the heart and soul, right? That, that's reverberating deep inside. When you're saying, making that commitment where there is no bloodline between us, but we had something I think that was so much stronger. We had a mutual respect for each other and we were soulmates, Miss Lane and I. We had a guy in the show, Kevin, called Todd Herman, who wrote a book called The Alter Ego Effect. And he talked about creating these alter egos, whether they be a, a person or a character or an animal, that you can step into. And you essentially take on the values or the attributes 
of that image in your mind to help you perform at a higher level. And I'm just wondering and curious, what attributes or characteristics do you take from Miss Lane when you are on the street looking at Elon on the porch or when you're with a young athlete or a child that you want to be of service to? What attributes do you take from Miss Lane to bring to that conversation? Humility, curiosity, and wonder. Those are the things that she actually would challenge me with. She said, wouldn't it be lovely if you could start each day with a level of humility and wonder, right? And have that curiosity that here's a new day, here's a new opportunity. And I I sprinkle in their courage also. And I learned that through actually when you talked about alter ego, I jotted down really quickly. My alter ego is Matthew Murdoch, Daredevil, because Daredevil is the man without fear, Right. And so he had to be courageous. And Miss Lane was very important to me, but my grandmother was equally important. But she passed away when I was 10. And I discovered Daredevil by chance. And I saw that tagline, the man without fear. So courage became a part of that alter ego, that formula for me for success. So always you know, having that humility. As my grandfather said, you're a zero trying to be a one every day, right? You start off a blank canvas, tabula rasa, you're a zero, at least get to a one by the end of the day. (laughs) So that was his thing. The idea of wonder, right? Having this curiosity every day that it's a brand new day and you're gifted 86,400 seconds worth of opportunity each day. So what will you do with that blank canvas? And I just really think that humility is about Everybody's got a story, right? It doesn't matter your age, right? Everyone has something that they could share. And so I want to treat everyone equally, you know, that way that, hey, I want to hear from you. What's going on with you? So I think humility, wonder, curiosity, and a sprinkle that courage in there. You you have your own backstory and both your parents were addicts and you were abandoned. And I guess if you step into your character of having no fear, let's just say it's Thanksgiving and we're at Thanksgiving dinner and you can sit with both your parents for Thanksgiving dinner. If you could ask them a question, Kevin, what would you want to know? You know, I think it's interesting because I have so little memory of my parents and actually someone brought this up the other day. They said, do you ever think there's an opportunity when someone actually makes a decision that everyone else would view as just so much upheaval and would just basically create this level of dis you know just disruption in someone's life and like they, and then they said Kevin look at your story right with your parents abandoning you right and being addicts and i said actually they gifted me something See, they gifted me an opportunity to create my own story. I didn't have to live up to anyone's expectations per se, right? Which is a lot of what gets in the way of people, right? Are their parents and the expectations and all that history that gets sprinkled in there. So I didn't have that um, as part of my world. And so if I were sitting with them, it would almost be like, you know, you created an opportunity you know, that, you know, unknowingly. And I know that you made these decisions and it wasn't necessarily that you at your core wanted to do that, but because you were, you know, dealing with these demons, right, in your life from addiction, 
the decisions you made really had impact. But who would have known that that those decisions would actually set in motion this catalyst, be a catalyst for me, if you will, right, to go and do these other things? I always often wonder what my life would have been if I had stayed in that upheaval, that uncertainty, that dysfunction, that um, just world of disappointment, of abandonment and addiction, just constant. Would I even be like this? I don't I, I don't know. I don't think I would be. I think I'd be a very different person. So sitting with my parents, if I was at Thanksgiving dinner, it, it might just be, you know, a level of, you know, you knew you couldn't handle it. You knew you couldn't deal. And so you decided to do what you could and you let go. And maybe there would be a bit more gratitude than animosity towards them because, they, if they'd have kept me, you know, just enmeshed in that world and entwined in all that turmoil, who knows what happens, Gary? I don't. I. I. I I'm pretty certain that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing and behaving the way I'm behaving and having the mindset that I have. And it was not people for you. One of the stories that I want to relate from back then to today, Kevin, is you said that as a child you'd suddenly be woken up by your mum, who would rush into your bedroom in the wee hours and tell you to get up and you're going, you're leaving the house, you have to move. And so you learned to tuck your blanket in around you so that when your mum did come in, it was tucked so tightly, you could just take it with you. And you said it became an attachment for you. You became attached to your blanket. After all these years with all you know, do you still have attachment to anything today? Does that kind of feeling or emotion still embody Kevin today? I think um, it, it's interesting. I can harken back to that and remember, you know, being able to find something to hold on to that you could count on. That's really what the blanket represented to me, right? That I could at least count on this. This is going to be the thing. But I also learned because we would, you know, sleep multiple people in one bed, that I would sleep a certain way so that I could get out of the bed very quickly. And so one of the things that I actually still continued to do all through my life and still to this day is I still sleep towards the edge of the bed. And my wife always like really goes, it's as if you didn't even sleep in the bed, your side like doesn't really move. (laughs) And she gets a lot of the bed also too, right? Because I sleep towards the edge. So she appreciates that, I think. But, But I've always been someone that, um, was a very light sleeper as a result of that, um, can get up and be functioning very quickly. And so I think, you know, a big part of what I continue to hold on to from that is just to be able to be responsive in the moment, right? In a moment's notice. And I think that is something that I've taken away with me that has served me well because I have early hours when I have to travel. And when I was in the military, you get early, you know, roll call when you're getting up. So none of that ever was um, difficult for me. And if I have to, you know, be called upon in the wee hours, like you said, I don't worry about it. Like, I'm good. Let's go. So I think it's actually became a, a strength for me to be able to do that where a lot of people, 
you know, talk about not being a morning person. I, I'm uh, someone that, uh, you know, bring that on. Like I'm happy to be up early in the morning regardless of the time. But I think there's not a physical object per se, but there is still um, some habits, right, of how I actually sleep and and how I can, you know, pop out of bed. As my wife said, it's kind of disturbing and and and, and really disgusting that you can get up and just be going like that. <laughs> so, uh, but I think um, I really do recognize that that was something well earned and um, and learned over the years. That's a good gift. You you said the conversation. You said I'm 60, and I know what I am about. What what are you about? And when did you know, Kevin? Because there is this underlying conversation you hear a lot with at the root of of all performance and alter egos is you've got to know who you are. And a lot of people today, I'm sure, have a feeling of I'm not really entirely comfortable or confident in who I am. You, at, at the age of 60, with this amazing energy and this beauty you bring to a conversation that, and the people around you, who, who are you and how, how did you know, when did you know who you are? You know, I, I think honestly, Gary, I'm still a work in progress. I, I love the idea of, of seeing and viewing myself as an app. So I view myself as the greatest app ever created. And one of the things that I know is amazing about the apps on our devices is they're always getting updates, right? So that's my attitude about me. So how am I always updating me? How do I stay in beta as a human being? Always improving, always leveling up, always raising my game, always updating. And so I think that attitude has served me well. And it harkens back to what we talked about, curiosity and wonder. So I stay in this mindset of curiosity and wonder on the daily. That's me. And I know that's me. And I know that's been me since I was young. Because out of necessity, that's how I could connect with you. If I was curious about you, and if I brought a level of wonder and excitement about what could the day unfold, maybe I don't have to go back to my dysfunction and upheaval so soon. Maybe I can extend the day so that I can really enjoy it so I don't have to go back. It's, it's wonderful that now I love coming home and it's a wonderful environment and loving environment and all of those things. But when I was younger, it was about extending the day. It was about finding a way to keep the play going. How do we not let the play run out? So how do we come up with a new rule? We don't have the same, sides aren't even, so let's find another player. We'll invent a player, ghost runner, right? A ghost player, right? And then we actually have to discuss what are the attributes of that athlete on the team. So you actually now negotiate how fast they are, what they can do, how strong they are. These are all things I started to understand, you know, when I was younger to extend the play. So now if you look at me all these years later, if you think about someone who's actively practicing that, curiosity, wonder, excitement, bringing that updating mindset, I know that's who I am, that I'm this person that is always in beta, always improving, always updating, and I'm always doing my human homework, the homework on me. I'm always going to do homework on me. I'm going to always find a way to raise my game, to level up. And one of the things that I know to be true, and now I can 
I can, um, you know, proudly say I just turned 61. So yeah, so, uh, so I'm definitely getting closer to my height now. So I'm 61 inches. So yeah, I'm getting closer to my height. But, uh, but I think that, uh, what I love to do is defy numbers and not let a number define me and to let people understand that your inside is reflected on your outside. And so if I'm young at heart and young inside, dude, I'm showing up that way. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And so one of the great tests is talking to an Elon, talking to a middle schooler, talking at a high school, talking at a uni, at a uni because they don't have a boss to answer to, those students, right, those kids, and they're going to let you know if you are fake or you're real. And so I love when I get that seal of approval, right? They let me know, right? We, you, you, we co-sign that. You are that, Kevin. And then I don't have any of that imposter syndrome, if you will, right? Where I'm faking it, right? I'm not true to me. I'm not authentic. Whatever words you want to use, that's the litmus test are the youth, are young people, because they're going to let you know. They can smell disingenuous, unauthentic people right away. They can tell, and so I love that test. I love showing up and seeing, am I still staying true to me and how I am and what I believe I am, right? And so I truly believe that I am like in that app mindset that I'm always updating, I'm always improving, I stay in beta, and I bring that curiosity and that wonder and that excitement on the regular. Let's, let's camp there for a second on your speaking. In 2005, you addressed dignitaries from 31 nations at the United Nations about the importance of play, which you just mentioned in this conversation. And you talked about play in developing countries. When you speak to an audience like that, Kevin, about play, what's the biggest question they ask, or at least you know in their mind they're thinking it if they didn't ask it? What's their biggest query or question? They always want to think... Well, play is just something that's recreational and you do when you have time. They don't think that play is serious business. And so I always want to level set the room, first and foremost, to remind them every single one of you in this room, regardless of that amazing title that you have associated with your name, has a play history. Everyone does. Play has helped to shape and form you. And when I put it to them like that, and then I make them pause for a moment and say, I want to take you back to your six, seven, eight years old. What was your favorite game, toy, or activity then? And you can see them basically roll back the tape, if you will, and, and then you see these smiles crease their face. And I love the fact that they are not thinking with their head, they're thinking with their heart. And normally what I do, I didn't do it there. I will get them up and I'll get them to actually share their favorite game, toy, or activity with someone else in the audience. You want to talk about a room's energy elevating when they start talking about that because they're speaking from a place of joy. And it's magical to see the, I love this word, cacophony, right? This creative, energetic cacophony coming into the room because they're talking about play. And then I point out once everybody settles back down, look what you already have in common, doesn't matter where you come from in the world, we all have a play history. 
And I think that's one of the most important things to remind people that play is serious business. It's not something to be um, pushed to the weekends or marginalized. We need to celebrate it and recognize its value and the role that it serves in building community and having social impact. You said you wear a hat on stage when you're presenting in front of an audience like that. And if we tie this back to Todd Herman, a previous guest, and the alter ego, he calls them totems, where by accessing a totem, you take on those values. When you wear a hat on stage, you said it's a nod to your grandfather. What values do you draw from your grandfather when you're on stage sharing your message? So I end up getting the values of my grandparents, right? So they have a had a very specific way that they would show up each day and how you were supposed to present yourself. And so my grandfather would don a hat all the time on the way out of the house. And I used to put on his hats when he was out of the house, right? They didn't fit very well. I'd stuff them with paper and stuff and try to put on his fedoras and everything. But I loved hats because of my grandfather, because it reflected his business-like approach, right? That he meant business. When he was putting that hat on and walking out, I mean business. So I put a hat on as a nod to my grandfather, and he would always have this this wonderful saying to us, you need to check your want to every day, boys. You can't do anything with a broke want to. You got to want to be better, got to want to be unique, got to want to make your ideas, your dreams real. And he would always ask, how's your want to? So when I don a hat, that's about my want to, (laughs) Gary. That's about, I'm about this, right? And I have that hat on. And it's also to pay respect to him and also to know his presence is around to protect me. I also in my pocket have two pictures, right? One of Miss Lane and one of my grandmother, always in my pocket. So the hat and the two pictures represent, you know, this protection for me. And I've done work with Native American um, indigenous Aboriginal communities. And what I've learned is warriors need to feel protected before they can fight the good fight before they can go into battle. So this is the way that I smudge or prepare myself for the fight, the fight for your attention, the fight for curiosity, the fight for wonder, the fight for possibilities. And that's what I'm donning that hat on and putting that in my pocket and having my rituals before I go on stage so that I can feel like here I am, let's go, game on. In the Air Force, if we're taking back something you mentioned at the top of the show, which relates back to this pocket, In the Air Force and the time at the NSA, I think it was, you said you had a coin that said on one side, in God we trust. On the other side, it said, all others we monitor. Yes. (laughs) Are you you a people watcher? Because if I tie a lot of these things together through the pocket, those totems, curiosity, being where your feet are, all others we monitor. Are you a are you a people watcher? A person who likes to just observe and take it in? Yes, I'm very observant. I love taking in information and paying attention. As they say, pay attention to your intention. And so I'm about paying attention to my intention, which is to be where my feet are, be present. 
And I think that's a big part of what I've learned through a lot of things, right? through the playground and just connecting with people through playing sport and being a member of a team to joining the military and having a military intelligence background and, um, you know, learning very specific things. I, I uh, teasingly called myself Black Jason Bourne back then. So I was black born. So, uh, yeah, so that was my black born days. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so just having that, that mindset right? Of be present, be where your feet are. And then you might discover something. That's where wonder happens, right? That's the, that's the tipping point, if you will. That's the opportunity. If you're present, you might discover something. There might be the unexpected. So you have to be willing to do that, right? And that's kind of the agreement. Okay. I agree. I'm going to be where my feet are. I'm going to be present. And my hope is that I'm going to get a spark. I'm going to get something unexpected. I'm going to discover something. And maybe no one else saw it, but that's okay. Because sometimes I'm not going to try to invite you because it was just a moment. You just needed to see it then. Or I heard it, right? Or I witnessed it. So I'm really, really uh, keen to listen to the words people use, Um send those back to them, hook back on to. So being improvisational and that improv training, if you will, right, where they have yes and, right, a lot of yes and. I'm doing a lot of that with people. To, and once again, what am I doing, Gary? I'm extending the play, right? I'm trying to keep the play going, our connection going, our communication going, extending the experience. It's a big part of what I learned from my youth and I continue to act and behave that way. But it's funny, most people would think I always want to be the center of attention. And actually I'm not. I'm probably, as my wife said, the most extroverted introvert you'll meet. Yes. I'm very introverted by nature. I don't have a problem being by myself. My office is in the basement of a building. By design, I chose that space, that locale, to not be really having to deal with people except when I know it's important because I have to also preserve and, and replenish my energy because it takes a lot of energy to be present. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I find this really curious, which is where we start this conversation, with with that combination of quiet me time, that reflection time, and then also being out and about observing, hearing conversations and being where your feet are. Because when you look at your resume, you've, you've worked on creative ideas for, honestly, some of the greatest names in the world around Nike, Starbucks, Adidas, Walt Disney, Under Armour. Like you've worked, that, that's a heck of a resume. What I'm interested to know is when you're seeing so much, you obviously have a very active mind yet you've got this thinking time. How do you curate your learnings? How do you organize what you see, record it, organize it, to draw upon it, to create ideas for some of the world's greatest brands? What's your process for observing, recording, curating, and then using? So uh, I'm chuckling as you're saying that because I'm seeing <laughs> my... my, uh, my uh, crazy kind of uh, process of how I love to curate, collect. So it would be wonderful. I'll take a picture of this. So I actually printed out things <laughs> from your website about you, right? 
and I jotted some things down and, and I'm still, I'm writing things down as we're talking and right. And, and, and this is my process. So my phone, you know, the notes area on a, on a iPhone, I'm, I'll listen and talk with you. But then when I walk away or I'm waiting to get, you know, whatever, um, home or whatever, I'll stop like in a doorway or I'll stop in an office building or, and I'll start writing all my notes again from the conversation immediately as quickly as possible to remember as much as possible. So I have in my notes, um, area on my phone, just a, just a, just a plethora of notes and notes and notes and notes from conversations or little, you can't make this shit up stuff, right? That like, you know, <laughs> things that were coincidental you didn't expect, right? I have that list too. I also keep um, those moleskin journal books. So I love to write. So writing is a big thing for me. And handwriting was actually a really important thing I learned to love when I was younger. And I had a, a, a teacher in second grade, Miss Donovan, who taught us you know, penmanship. And she said, your handwriting reflects a lot about the way you take care of ideas. She said this to us when we were in second grade, grade two. And so I took that to heart. And so I have really meticulous handwriting, but I can write really fast and it looks really neat. When people see my notebooks, they go, wow, because I'll have stickers. I'll have little tear outs from a magazine. I'll glue them in there. And I have all these ways that I basically create this mosaic of an idea. When I put ideas up, I put butcher paper up on a wall. And if I'm working on a project and that's how I actually build it out, I need to visually see it up in front of me. So there's this whole idea of Write it down, speak it out, make it real. But I want someone to hold accountability. First me. So if I see it every day in my face, not closed up inside of a notebook, that's important. So it's on this wall. But I love if someone else happens to come in my in my office space and they say, hey, what's that? It makes me tell the story of what I'm working on. So that's helpful too. So I'm a big person who collects information. But what I do is I collect on behalf of you. Someone that maybe I haven't met yet, someone who might be able to use this information, not just for me. So I have in my office space books of note, notebooks, articles. I'll tear them out. I'll put them in little piles around my office space or in bins, little like Tupperware bins. And when someone comes by and we're chatting, I'm like, oh, wait. And I'll go in the bin and I'll pull it out and they'll go, I said, have you seen this article from such and such? No, here, take it. And so I know this process helps me to stay actively engaged, curious, curating, but even more so on behalf of others, not just for me and my benefit, but also for the benefit of someone I haven't bumped into yet or a conversation I haven't had yet. And so, like you said, having that active mind, but not solely being active for the benefit of me. So I love the South African term Ubuntu. I am because we are. I'm always about the we first, then me. So I'm always thinking about how can I advance someone else and have something available, have a resource for them, and maybe it'll be useful for me. But I'm also thinking about that person I haven't met yet. So yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I take a picture of the of what I have for our conversation today. Cause I'm literally looking at it and jotting things down as we talk. So when you bring up a topic, I jot something down and then it might spark something I want to share. But that's my process. It's always been that way. 
do you know, just one thing I want to ask you about is the work you've done creatively, the resume, is is incredible. And so you're also associated with a, a basketball superstar in Kobe Bryant. And if I put those two things together, what I'd like to know is your observation of a superstar creative. So you work with a superstar sportsman. You're working with superstar brands. If you were to look at and observe a person that you can either visualize or have had a conversation with that you think is really someone who is a superstar creative in how they approach problems or opportunities, how would you describe the attributes of a superstar creative? So I think, you know, in many ways, a superstar creative is like an athlete. It's not any different than an athlete. So an athlete is always going to have this competitive mindset. I'm competing for my idea. I'm competing for your um, your curiosity, for your, I, I guess, your attention. And so the more that we start to understand that, I then start to look at creatives that way. Who are the creatives that are bringing it? Who are the creatives that are about it? Who are the creatives who recognize that they need to bring a, a certain level of energy and a competitive attitude? And so, you know, I've met many, many um, new rising star creatives and then ones that are very established. Um, but one person that I learned a great deal of my creative thinking and problem solving from was Tinker Hatfield at Nike. And Tinker is one of the most world-renowned um, footwear product designers, and I would say just creative thinkers out there. And one of the things that I learned from him was this – he's competing. Like he's always competing. He was a pole vaulter in college and just has this attitude about that competition, right? And one of the things that I love is the bar is always being raised in the pole vault, so that attitude of always leveling up, always raising your game, always bringing that mindset and that attitude to the work and to the effort, but always staying curious. He was always very curious and always asking questions and always researching. And so I think all those things, I could say that he is that creative athlete, that creative competitor with the same kind of mindset and attitude like a Kobe Bryant. And come to find out, Years later, Tinker ends up working with Kobe on his product. So can you imagine, right? So he's worked with Michael Jordan and done, you know, majority of the Jordan products. Then he works with Kobe Bryant, who I have a much closer relationship with and, uh, and knowledge of. And then those two to get together, you can only imagine, right, the sparks that were flying and the, the creative energy that was exchanged. One thing I heard you talk about, Kevin, is you said you have one look-up day per week. Do you still do that? If you do, how do you execute that? Like, what's that look like? Oh, gosh, are you kidding me? That's, all, that's every every week on the regular. It's probably more than one day now um, where I spend time, and maybe I split it up a little bit, like, into chunks. But it is really important for me to have – this uh, curiosity moments, right? And to be intentional about it and to set the day that way so that I want to make sure that I am looking at the big screen, I like to say, called life, right? Where everything's in HD and 3D there, you know, and the little screens don't have all the answers. So it's a great reminder of that. And I'll go back to Elon. So, so I mentioned Elon in the early part of our conversation and Elon 
I'm walking down the street, heading to my office, and this is just a couple days ago, and Elon sees me, and he's getting his bike helmet on, everything's, Kevin, Kevin, I'm going on a ride with my dad. And I said, oh, that's great. And so his father, Neil, says, yeah, you should see him. He's really good. I said, well, Elon, I've watched you go from your training wheels to now riding your bike. I said, but I've seen you're really skilled. And his dad goes, oh, you should see him when he does his skids. I said, oh. Well, Elon, what do you think? He says, watch, Kevin, watch. So he goes barreling down the sidewalk, right? And he hits the skid and his bike is tail spinning a little back and forth. And he's got balance and he stops and he yells, Kevin, come and look. Look how long it is. So I jog down. He lays his bike down and we examine his skid mark. And I'm like, this is so amazing, Elon, you have a great ride. So I go to my office and I'm walking back home and I go, let me look at that again, right? So I still remember this moment with him. So I walk back and I look at it and I'm like, wow, that little guy, to see him grow now, he'll be sick soon, but to watch his growth, but also like he's wonder, right? He's look up. I could have been about getting to my office. I had a conference call I was supposed to get to, da 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 and I could have been oh, I, let me go around. I could avoid their house or whatever because I need to get to the office. But I actually was hoping to see him because he always has a great story. And I had not seen this before. So that was this lookup moment for me that happened You know, in the context of it wasn't necessarily my lookup day. But I think what I've evolved into is just having more lookup moments throughout the day and paying attention you know, to what's available on the big screen called life and not thinking that the little screens that we have in front of us have all the answers. I wonder whether your relationship with Elon is so strong because you are the guy that does pay attention. Oh, I think you're spot on. But you know what I think I am? I think I'm the 2.0 version of Miss Lane. I think that I'm her, right, evolved now. And almost what I promised her is that I would continue her legacy on and I would be that, right? Because she was that person who was present for me, who listened, right? Who paid attention and then was encouraging. And there's something I think really powerful when it's not just your immediate family providing that to you, that there's someone giving you confirmation, someone giving you encouragement, someone who believes in you. And even more importantly, what I loved about Miss Lane is she made me accountable for any of my ideas. So it wasn't enough to have an idea. Miss Lane would check back. And her whole thing was, don't talk about it, be about it. There's lots of talkers and very few doers, Kevin. Which one are you? So when you start understanding that in order to turn an idea into reality, you have to have action behind it, I learned that. And so just being present for someone, and I know as Elon gets older, I'll probably start challenging him with stuff, right? I know that's probably what's going to be our next you know, iteration of our relationship is as he gets older, he's going to tell me stories about school, whatever. I'm like, hey, I got a little challenge. Here, read this book and let's have a conversation. Or hey, here, I'm going to give you this to look at. Or here, tell your mom and dad that you guys should look at this program. And then we can talk. So this is what Miss Lane used to do to me. And she would check to see if you were really about something by your follow-up. If you weren't about it, she wasn't going to be about you. But if you were about it and you were consistent, which I was, as she said, that's why you stuck, Kevin, because I knew you were about it. 
You were that child that really wanted to actively advance hopes and dreams and ideas. You were about it. And to have a 46-year-long friendship, I mean, that's unheard of. Predating any of this technology that, quote unquote, makes us more social, which actually doesn't in many ways, right? We're more connected. We have the ability to be connected, but we're not really connected, right? So kind of like putting connected in italics, if you will, or something, right? So I think that Miss Lane and I had real connection. And that's what I learned from her is how do you have real connection is being consistent with people. And so I try to be consistent with the people that I bump into, the people that I meet, um, the people that I think that are about it. I want to spend time with you. I want to stay connected to you. So, you know, game recognize game. And so that's what I'm trying to do is to find, you know, those kinds of people, surround myself with that kind of like-minded energy. And that's going to propel me forward also. You, you seem like a guy, well, at the, at the start of the show, you talked about the story and your desire to to be where your feet are, to hear the story. And you said you got a valuable lesson from the very successful author, Paolo Coelho. Is that the right pronunciation, Coelho? Oh, yeah. Paolo Coelho. Yeah, Coelho. Coelho. Yeah. The alchemist. He wrote The Alchemist. Yes. Yep. And he said that there is a story behind the story. And it's really interesting, Kevin. I really, I like people who put the rubber on the road, who don't just talk about it, but actually, uh, to your point with Miss Lane, be about it. And... It just seems that you are the person who's looking at the story behind the story because when we dig behind you, your grandfather, Miss Lane, Norman, you really are a person who is not only living it yourself, but you seem to be the person who is digging with even with Elon for the story behind the story. That just seems to be part of your character. It just seems to be part of your DNA. You don't even have to think about it. You just do it. Would that be right? Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right that they're – I'm trying to peek around the corner around, you know, people and, and to see beyond what you're presenting in front of me. And not everybody is a willing subject, right? A lot of people put up masks and they hide, right? Titles are very convenient, right? That we can hide behind our titles, our business titles or whatever you might have. And I think that it's the people who are willing to be vulnerable and to be a bit more transparent. They'll let you actually get the story behind the story, right? To, to reveal a bit more of themselves, their true self. That's where you get to, I think, the authentic self, right? And that's where people, you have to have a level of vulnerability and transparency and willingness. And let's go back to that word courage because you have to believe that, hey, I'm going to share this, but I don't believe you're going to use this in some detrimental, diabolical way to get me or to get at me that you are going, you have good intentions for me. And so the only way that you can represent that is the way that you are consistently showing up. That's how people start to build trust, right? And when they start to see that you're not just, you know, using rhetoric, you're actionable, right? That these are real words, these are real actions, this is what I'm about, then people will tend to be more vulnerable, more available, more transparent with you. And then you do get to that deeper story, that story that could be the unlock, that story that could be this amazing moment, right? That could tip something, right? In, in an amazing, unexpected, disruptive way. And so that's what's exciting, I think, to me. And, and it doesn't matter the age. I'm not thinking of it in that way or your status or that title, 
right? It's much, much bigger than that, right? It's more about the, let's go all the way back to what we first started talking about, humanity. It's always going to be about that humanity. How can I help humanity, advance humanity, help humanity win? That's what it's about. Just to finish this up, I sort of put a few threads together. You talked about, it's a great story, you talked about your alter ego, which was Matthew Murdoch, Daredevil, No Fear, The Man Without Fear. And your very first post on Instagram, you said, take every chance, drop every fear. Did you miss chances due to fear somewhere in your career? You know, I, I, I think about that idea of something being paralyzed with fear, right? That it doesn't allow you to want to uh, put yourself out there or take a risk. And I honestly think that I had to learn very early in my life at six years old when we were abandoned and, you know, trying to figure out a way to get out of this predicament, this situation that I had to take some risk. And so there was fear mixed in there with a healthy dose of we got to figure something out. And so I think fear is a propellant for me, right? It's not a fear of failure. It's not a fear of success. It's just a fear of am I maximizing me? Am I doing the best I can? Am I doing the most I can? And that's the only fear that I would have and the way that I would grade myself, right, is have I done, have I rung myself out? Have I done the most I can with what I have? And I think that's something that I'm constantly competing against, right, is the fear of not doing my level best, right, of bringing my best each day. And so that, I think, is a healthy thing for me, right? That's what keeps me moving forward, keeps me competing, keeps me actively chasing hopes, dreams, aspirations, and goals. And so I, I love that I wake up with a, a healthy dose of that fear, right, that worry, that concern, that will I maximize this day because that's all I got is today, right? I've been gifted 86,400 seconds when I see the light of day. My grandfather would remind you of that. You got another day. What will you do with it? That's all you're promised is today. What will you do with it? So that sparks a little bit of fear, right? Like, whoa, okay, well, if I don't get another day, what am I going to do, right? Today, right? Versus where people are building big futures. What's your five-year plan, right? You know, all those things. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but you also need to recognize, but you got the day today. That's all that's promised to you. Hence why it is called the present, a gift. And what are you going to do with that gift? So I think fear hasn't hasn't hindered me. I think fear has been an amazing propellant and um, an amazing catalyst, if you will, to uh, spark me. Final question, and I'm, I've just I've reframed this in my mind based on this conversation, is that I want to flick back to Elon, who is on the porch. You mentioned there's a phrase you used during the interview called game recognizes game. And we had Michael Gervais, the sports psychologist for the Seattle Seahawks on the show. And he talks about game recognizes game. What I'd like to finish with is if Elon was to use three words to describe Kevin with the game that you are representing in the mind of Elon, what three words would you be most proud for?
for Elon to be thinking to represent you? Laughter, joy, and surprise. Yeah. So, so I, I think when Elon sees me and it's really cute because he's taught his little sister, Golda, now, like Golda and I are having our own relationship because Elon's at school during the day. So I'll see Golda on the porch now. So she has learned from Elon the rules of engagement with Kevin. So now I get this lovely little Kevin, Kevin, similar to her brother. And I've watched Golda since she was an infant grow. And I think she is modeling Elon's relationship with me. And I think Elon would truly say, Kevin will make you laugh. Kevin always brings some level of joy and he'll surprise you with what he's interested in. It actually is the same thing you're interested in. And he's a, he's a big person. And like his mom and dad have said, Kevin, so many adults, he tries to talk to you. You're the only one that spends time. She said he yells to people walking past their house all the time from the porch since he was three. She said, you're the one who's st-. he ran down the stairs at, at seven in the morning and we're having a conversation on the porch. I think the family's up. No one was up. All of a sudden I see this like scurrying figure coming down the steps and the mom's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I heard him outside talking to someone. But it's you, Kevin. And she walked back up and just let us stay outside talking. And so I just think there's something beautiful about if he sees me as laughter, as joy and surprise, and I'll add one little other word, delight, then that's great. Then I'll take that all day, every day, man. I think I could, I think, I think if I met you, Kevin, and we sat in a coffee shop and we had a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, I think it'd be one of those conversations where I would lose track of time. And before you knew it, they were cleaning up around us and throwing us out of the coffee shop at 10 o'clock at night. Because honestly, I could listen to you tell stories and share the passion, the energy you bring, the genuine humility, your desire to be of service to others. It really is outstanding. And thank you so much for making time in your day to be on Inspiring Lives. It has been truly inspiring. Thank you. No, Gary, I appreciate it. We'll, we would have a proper flat white together because I haven't had a proper one since <laughs> I've been in Australia. So we would have a proper flat white together, my man, for sure. <laughs> so, so, well, thanks so much, man. I so appreciate you and, and getting an opportunity to spend some time on Inspiring Lives. I appreciate you, man. So that's today's show. There are loads more incredible guests ahead in the weeks to come on the Inspiring Loves podcast. You'll find all the show notes at athleticgreens.com. In the weeks ahead, we will sit down with author and angel investor, John Romanello, the incredibly popular podcast host, Jordan Harbinger, and athletic performance expert, Eric Cressy, and plenty more outstanding performers who'll share their recipe for how we can all, in our own way, live inspiring lives. So that's next time on the Inspiring Lives Podcast. The Inspiring Lives Podcast, brought to you by Athletic Greens. New episodes out every other Monday morning. Tune in and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or your favorite podcast platform.